God is the Ancient of Days, and God has the final word. And that's what we see in Second Kings chapter 1. Second Kings chapter 1, I'm going to read uh, uh, verses 1 through 8, and then part of verse 17. Now Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, and became ill. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you will surely die. Then Elijah departed. When the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you returned? They said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed you have gone up, but shall surely die. So he said to them, What kind of man was he who came up to meet you and spoke these words to you? And so they answered him, He was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound around his loins. And he said, Oh yeah, that's Elijah the Tishbite. And jump down to verse 17. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. Let's pray. Father, you are the ancient of days. You are the God of creation. You are the one whose word is final. And I pray, O God, that you would open our minds and hearts to your truth today. That you would guide us into your truth, Lord. We believe that your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we look at the lives of the Old Testament kings, there's many things that we can learn. But certainly one of the things we learn is this, is that God always has the final word. Kings may think, (laughs) they may think that they're in control. They may think that their word, their spoken word is final, that, that, that what they say is, is going to take place, but only if God allows it. You can be sure that God will rule and overrule, if need be, to accomplish His will. This is the lesson that King Ahaziah learned the hard way. He thought that God could be ignored. He thought that God's messenger could be intimidated. But guess what? God had the final word. And there are three lessons I want you to see in this passage this morning. The first lesson is this, that it is foolish to ignore God's help. Our text begins with an event in the life of Ahaziah, the king, that really should have gotten his attention. 
It should have revealed to him his need for the Lord because we're told in verse 2 that he fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, and became ill. I tried to find out, you know, what, what exactly that was and how far he fell, but you get the impression that it was maybe on an upper floor and, I don't know, leaning against the lattice, and he falls out, and he's in trouble. Physically, he's in trouble. But instead of seeking God's help, where does he turn? (laughs) He turns to Beelzebub. Verse 2, So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from this sickness. Now, it probably shouldn't surprise us that this is what Ahaziah did. Because guess who his mom and dad were? (laughs) His dad was Ahab. His mother was Jezebel. If you remember anything about Ahab and Jezebel, they were very deep into idolatry. They had some of the prophets of the Lord killed. And so it's not surprising that this son would follow in the footsteps of his ungodly father because of how deep they were into idolatry. So he sends these messengers to Ekron, to Beelzebub, to see if he's going to recover from his fall. But God sends Elijah the prophet, and Elijah intercepts them while they're on their way to Ekron. And he says to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? So you go and you tell Ahaziah, he is not going to survive this. He will surely die. And so they go back and Elijah goes, goes home. Now Ahaziah, the king, should have known better than to think that he would get an answer from Beelzebub. Because on Mount Carmel, Elijah met with the false prophets of Baal. Remember that? And they were, had this contest. If fire from heaven would come down, then that would determine who is God. And so the false prophets of Baal, 450 of them, remember, they were crying out to Baal all day, all afternoon, all evening. They were cutting themselves with stones. And Elijah was saying, well, maybe he's traveling, maybe he's sleeping, maybe he needs to be awakened. And First Kings 19 says twice that there was no answer. There was no word. Baal had nothing to say. And then Elijah, he, he, he builds the altar. He just pours over it all kinds of water. Simply cries out to God and said, God, show that you are the true God. And fire came down from heaven, licked up all the water, consumed the sacrifices, and literally consumed the stones in the altar. So you would think that after that experience that I'm sure Ahaziah knew of, that he would realize, you're not going to get an answer from Baal. He has no God. He has no God at all. And there was no answer, uh, no word. 
Ahaziah wasn't the only one who worshipped false gods. This was an ongoing problem among the people of Israel. And the prophets confronted them over and over. Isaiah, for example, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19 says, When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? Why are you turning this direction? Why are you going to all these false gods when you have the true God who hears and answers prayer? John Ole, in his commentary, says the same thing happens today. He said some current equivalents might be seen in tarot cards, horoscopes, channeling and the like, which either deny the reality of the living God, or else see them as, see God as, or see these answers as more immediate and relevant than the scriptures. Then he quotes a man by the name of Lightheart, who goes further and challenges regarding the role of experts in current life. And he rightly affirms that there are times for experts, but quote, The post-enlightenment reliance on experts is often a form of practical idolatry. A version of consulting Baal instead of God. And so he says, Elijah could well rely on Freud for counseling, on Marx and Weber for their sociology and politics, on Madison Avenue for their evangelistic planning with the question, is there no God in Israel? That's a question that needs to be asked of this culture today, doesn't it? Looking everywhere else for all the answers to the problems of life, all the experts instead of Jesus. And so that's the question I would ask you. Do we look for help in other places because there is no God who can really help us? (laughs) Is there no living, true God who can minister to the needs of this culture today? Must we turn somewhere else? And let me ask you this. Where do you turn in time of need? Do you turn to Jesus? Do you turn to the Lord? Ahaziah didn't. And he learned the hard way that it's foolish, very foolish to ignore God's help. The second thing we notice in our text, it is foolish to threaten God's messengers. After Elijah departed from the messengers of the king, they went back and told him what happened. When they came back, he said, why have you returned? They probably had been gone for such a short time. He's thinking, you couldn't have gone to Ekron and come back, so why did you come back? And so they said, well, we were on our way, and there is this guy that met us. And he says, isn't there a God in Israel who can help you? He says, you're not going to make it through this, you're going to die. And he says to him, what, what kind of man was this? And they said, well, he was a hairy man with a leather girdle about his loins. And he said, okay, I know who that guy is. That is Elijah the Tishbite. 
So Isaiah didn't have to wonder who had intercepted the messengers on the way to Ekron. He knew how he dressed. And he knew what Elijah would have likely have said. So he said, that's Elijah. The man whom his father Ahab called the troubler of Israel. And he called Elijah my enemy. Now think of that. The prophet of God, the man who is proclaiming the truth of God's word is the troublemaker. The preacher of righteousness is our enemy. Wow, that sounds like today, doesn't it? If you are willing to stand on the word of God and proclaim the truth of God, our culture today is going to call you a troublemaker. An enemy. Who are you to tell me how to live my life? Elijah had previously confronted Ahab and Jezebel. And so now he's confronting Ahaziah. And Ahaziah didn't like it. Something had to be done with this guy, this Elijah. So Ahaziah sends some troops to Elijah, demanding that Elijah come to him. Look at verse 9. And then the king sent to him a captain of 50, with his 50. And he went up to him, and behold, he was sitting on the top of the hill. And he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. Now think of it. Why would King Ahaziah send 51 men to tell Elijah to come to the king. Was it really necessary that you send 51 men? What's happening here? The king is trying to intimidate Elijah. The king is trying to threaten him. You had better come down. And I've got my soldiers who will deal with you if you do not. And guess what? The soldiers didn't deal with Elijah. Elijah dealt with the soldiers. Verse 10, Elijah replied to the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. I guess it didn't matter that he was outnumbered 51 to 1 when you got the Lord on your side. Mount Carmel, he was outnumbered 450 to 1. So he wasn't intimidated by 51 soldiers. Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Ahaziah was not very bright. He wasn't about to give up, so he sends another group of 51, captain and his 50 men. And this time it's a little bit stronger command. Verse 11. So he again sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50. And he said to him, O man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. In other words, get down here right now. What happened? Very same thing. Elijah said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. 
So now, the king has lost 102 of his men. What's he going to do? He's not very bright. So he sends a third group. And so word must have traveled among the troops of Ahaziah and said, If you're one of those who is sent again, just realize you're dealing with a prophet of God who has the power of God. And so when they came, verse 13 says that the captain bowed down on his knees before Elijah. And he begged him and said to them, O man of God, please let my life and the lives of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of fifty with their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. He's pleading for mercy from the prophet of God. And God gave mercy. Verse 15 says, The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Don't be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. So let me ask you, why did Elijah send fire down from heaven on the first two groups of soldiers? I believe he did this to remind Ahaziah of Mount Carmel. When the fire of God came down upon Mount Carmel. A reminder to Ahaziah that the spiritual battle was still going on. It was a battle between God and idols. And Elijah wanted Ahaziah to understand that those who oppose the true and living God by turning to idols will ultimately face destruction. It's either God or idols. It's one or the other. And if you follow the true and living God, that leads to life. If you follow anything else, where does that lead you? Destruction. There's no middle ground. None whatsoever. Warren Wiersbe says these two episodes of fiery judgment were dramatic messages from the Lord that the king and the nation had better repent or they would all taste the judgment of God. That's the message of the word of God. Either we repent or what? We perish, right? What did Jesus say? What did John the Baptist say? Unless you repent, you will perish. And this captain of that third group, he understood that lesson. If you rebel against the authority of God, you perish. And so he pleaded for mercy. And he was given mercy. And that's how we come to God, right? We come pleading for His mercy. And that mercy is ours in Jesus. The price He paid for us on the cross. It's interesting to notice how Elijah responded to this threat in a much different way than he responded to a previous threat, remember, by Jezebel. 
She said, your life is going to be like one of the false prophets that died by this time tomorrow. And you remember the story, 1 Kings 19, he took off and he was hiding in a cave. Lord, take my life. I'm the only one faithful to you. Take my life. Everybody else is worshiping idols. The Lord says, no, I'm not going to answer that prayer. I've got 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Now get up and go. I've got something for you to do. <laughs> this time he took his stand and he stood his ground. And I believe there's a reason why he stood his ground. That's because God told him to go and God said, you don't need to be afraid. This is my plan for you. Go, meet him. Go meet the king. Don't be afraid. So he arose and went down with him to the king, verse 15 says. And Elijah's response to Ahaziah illustrates then what ought to be our response as well. As believers in Jesus, there will be times when people will try to silence us. There will be threats. Count on it. There will be intimidation. In various ways, count on it. Could be legal intimidation. Could be violence. Could be ridicule. Could be all kinds of persecution. And sometimes it will be very bold and very obvious. And at other times it will be a little bit more subtle. But if you're going to be a messenger of the truth of God, you can expect that in some way there are going to be those who don't want you to say what God calls you to say. One author says, Around the globe today, Christians face threats and intimidation, violence and imprisonment. It's as if silencing the messenger removes the message. <laughs> that, that's the fallacy. If we can just silence the messenger... Just get the messenger to shut up. Then the message, it won't happen. I hope you don't believe that. God's message will prevail. He has the final word. And, and you can try to silence the messenger. That's not going to get rid of the message. Then he says, Christians... In Western countries face intimidation, perhaps in more subtle ways. Like keep your faith to yourself. Okay, okay if you're going to talk about Jesus, just keep it within the walls of your church, right? Just keep it to yourself. Or, how about this one, religious views have no place in politics. Huh? Separation of church and state. There's a huge misunderstanding of that. Or how about this one? That may be truth for you. But don't impose your truth on others. As if there's truth that contradicts truth, right? How silly. We read from Acts chapter 4 about Peter and John, remember? And they stood before the Sanhedrin, the most powerful group in the land. And they looked at these guys and said, they're just uneducated, untrained men. Um, 
Idiotes is the Greek word. They're just idiots. They don't know anything. But they took note that they had been with Jesus. Something about them, right? Something about the boldness with which they stood up to the most powerful group of the day. They threatened them. Don't say anything about Jesus. We don't want to hear anymore. And what did Peter and John do? Okay, whatever you say. I mean, you're the, you're the, you're the rulers. Huh? Like a lot of people today, whatever the rulers say, okay, we'll, we'll do it. They said, we can't stop. We cannot stop speaking what we've seen in her. And I love how they said, you be the judge. Should we obey God? Or should we obey you? And after threatening them, they went. And they didn't stop. Because they had been commissioned by God. When you've been commissioned by God to proclaim His Word, we are called by the power of the Spirit of God to continue to preach and proclaim the truth. And you know where that boldness comes from? It doesn't come from deep down within us where I am going to, you know, I think I can, I think I can, I know I can. What did Jesus say? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, into the very ends of the earth. That's where the power comes from. That's where the authority came from with Elijah. It was the power of God. And when you proclaim the Word of God by the power of God, then He's responsible for the results. We leave it then with Him. And see what God does as we proclaim His Word. Ahaziah tried to threaten the prophet, sending soldiers against him, but he learned the hard way that it's foolish to threaten the true messengers of God because they have a power behind them And anyone who takes their stand against God is sure to be defeated. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but they will be sure to be defeated. Notice the third thing we learned, that it is foolish to despise God's Word. At the end of the chapter, we see this contrast then between the captain of the third group and the king, Ahaziah. The captain of the third group humbled himself, right? He bowed before the prophet of God, have mercy on me. He pleaded with him, may my life be precious in your sight. And and he was spared. But then you have the king. The king who refused to seek the Lord's help when he was in trouble. The king who threatened Elijah because Elijah preached his word. And although he was told... He was told, you will surely die. There is no indication in this passage that he repented. (laughs) No indication whatsoever. And I think that's significant. Because if he would have repented, I think that would have been recorded here. That here was a king whose heart was changed. 
No indication that he repented. Reminds me of a man many years ago. I didn't know him. He was the father of a, of a woman that we knew. Would you go visit my dad in the hospital? He is dying and he doesn't know the Lord. So I went to visit him. And I asked him, I said, could I share some scripture with you? He said, no, that would not be necessary. I thought to myself, you're dying. You don't have much time. And you don't think that the truth of God's Word is necessary? You're going to go into eternity not knowing Jesus? How hard can a heart become? You're lying on your deathbed. You have no hope for eternity. And someone comes to share with you the gospel of Jesus and you say, no, that wouldn't be necessary. That's Ahaziah. You will surely die. He didn't take heed to that word. And he died without Jesus. You will surely die. Well, that ought to ring a bell, huh? Where did we first hear that? We first hear that in Genesis. Right? God told Adam, You can eat from any of the trees of the garden. But there is one tree from which you cannot eat. And the day that you eat from it, you shall what? Surely die. But then the tempter comes. (laughs) Did God really say that? Can you really believe that? And then he said, you surely will not die. So who's right? You got two opposite statements. Is one statement your truth and the other statement is... Someone else's truth? That's what our culture would say. You can believe what you want. That can be your truth. And then what someone else believes, that can be their truth. Only one of those statements can be right. Who was right? God was right. Because God is always right. You will surely die. You surely will not die. So the obvious question we need to answer today is, whose word are you going to believe? Whose word are you going to believe? Now you can choose to believe whatever you want to believe. But you need to remember that God always has the final word, and there are consequences if you choose to despise His word. And that's what we see in the life of Ahaziah. Did you notice what it says about his death? Verse 17, So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. Whose word was final? God's word was final. I don't know for sure where all of you stand with the Lord today, but I am sure of this. I am sure that it's foolish to ignore God's help. 
I am sure that it's foolish to threaten God's messenger, and I am sure that it is foolish to despise God's word. So there's the question. Are you ignoring God's help today? Are you angry with God's messenger? Are you despising God's word? I remember as a little boy, I was probably seven years old, maybe, something like that. And I went to a church with my dad, just him and I. He spoke there for some evening service. And so after the service, he was standing in the back. And I was standing with him, shaking hands, you know, looking up at all the people going by. And there was a man that came through the line that was very angry. Angry at my dad. And I'm sitting there, a seven-year-old boy... That's my dad. Why are you mad at my dad? Why are you treating him that way? His face was just red and flushed, and you could see the veins in his neck. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but it wasn't very nice. My dad just stood there. I don't remember all that he said, but in some way I know he pointed him to Jesus. That's the first time that I can remember in my life Someone who was so upset with the message of the Word of God. I don't know what happened to that man. I hope he came someday to acknowledge his need for Jesus. Some people say first people get mad and then they get sad and then they get glad, but it's often they get mad first. Who are you to tell me that I need to repent? But when the Spirit of God does its work in our hearts, then we, we, we come to the place where there's sorrow because we've sinned, we've offended God. And then when we embrace the gospel of Jesus, that's when we get glad, right? That's where true joy comes, when we respond to the good news of salvation. I plead with you today. You need Jesus. We all need Him. Don't be upset with the messenger. You need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. He died for Ahaziah. He died for the sins of the whole world. But many people push him away. Many people reject him. The Bible says he came unto his own. His own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Is that your response today to the good news? Not despising the word of God, not rejecting the message, but embracing it, receiving it, putting your trust in what Jesus has done on that cross for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for men like Elijah who were willing to to proclaim what you told them to preach. Lord, help us to be those who are willing to proclaim that message. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone who's listening to this message today who has uh, spurned you, despised your word, looked other places for, for help instead of you, Lord, would you draw them to yourself today? Would you remind them that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father 
except through Jesus. Thank you for his life and death and resurrection and the hope that we have in him. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.